everyone. My name is George Gray. I'm the senior pastor here at River of Life Fellowship Church. I am also the host of the In the Beginning podcast. Now, if you are listening on the radio today, um, this is much different from what you would normally be hearing on a Sunday morning. And the reason for that is, last Sunday I did a message uh, around my uh, recent trip to Tanzania, uh, and it went way too long for the radio. So what we did is we cut, I, I, I couldn't figure out a way to cut it back without and still have it make sense. So what I decided to do was sit down and actually talk to you in a, uh, along the same lines, but in a, in a, a slightly different purpose. Um, I don't want to talk about the trip itself really much today. Uh, I want to talk more about the mindset of missions. Um, but we'll get to that here in just a couple of minutes. Um, now if you're new to podcasting and you think this is something that maybe you'd like to try to get into, cause these, podcasts tend to be a little bit more detailed than your average Sunday morning sermon. You can do a couple different things if you're interested in this one. Um, you can go to YouTube, Facebook, or Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, iHeartRadio. There's a bunch of them out there. I'm on all of them. Uh, and just type in In the Beginning Podcast, and you should see it coming up. Come up. Um, there'll be a little icon with a picture of my little ugly mug uh, sit- sitting there. Um, so if you're interested, try that out. Um, if you want to try the website, uh, go to john547.com. Uh, and then uh, the podcast links will be there as well. So anyway, enough of that. So let's get into uh, into today. So like I said, I just gotten back from a trip to Tanzania. If you are watching this on, um, uh, if you're listening to this on the radio or one of the podcasting platforms, just want to let you know there is a YouTube video associated with this, and some of the pictures will be up there uh, as well. Um, now, if you're interested in the longer version of the st- of the trip to Tanzania. You can check that out on YouTube on the church's website as well at riveroflifechurch.org, and there's a ton of pictures uh, to go with that. But anyway, um, so there's a couple of pictures going on there today if you're watching um, and you're interested in just seeing some of the graphics. So up there, what you see there uh, first is uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Africa and kind of where we are now. We went with a group uh, called PEFA. Uh, PEFA is the Pentecostal Evangelistic Fellowship of Africa, and basically it is a collaboration of around a thousand churches in the Tanzania, uh, the nation of Tanzania. So um, we were there working with the president of PEFA, his name is Eli Rahema, and they just started a Bible college in the Babadi region of Manyara. So we were there doing some teaching and uh, just connecting with the school and seeing if it was something we wanted to get into uh, a little bit uh, more deeply, which uh, myself, I'm thinking, yeah, it was a, just an amazing trip. If you've ever spent any time in Africa, it's just an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable place. The people are, are amazing. Um, if you can handle the weather, then it's always a good thing. Um, uh, we were, we were fortunate enough to go during some of the, uh, some of the cooler times of the year before they got into their rainy season. So I didn't even have to deal with a whole lot of mosquitoes, which I was very, very thankful for. Uh, but the trip itself was really amazing. And um, if you want to get an idea of what's going on in the world, uh, it's really beneficial to to travel to a nation um, like Tanzania or Ghana or Kenya or Uganda and 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 talk to them, and you'll get a really good idea of what the world, how the world feels about the United States of America and American Christianity. It's a very eye opening experience. I recommend you doing it if you get to get the chance. Uh, but I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the trip itself. Um, like I said, uh, now the organization was was pretty amazing. Uh, we were we were located in the sort of north northeastern region of uh, of Tanzania. Uh, we flew into an area called Kilimanjaro, which is right at the base of the at the volcano, um, in a town called Moshi, and then we uh, drove down to 
Babati, which where we stayed for the next couple of weeks. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course we did the, the typical, you know, Western tourist kind of things. And we did a little travel through the, uh, Terengary National Park to see some, uh, see some of the animals. Um, if you're watching the, the video, there I am inside of a, a, a baobab tree, which is pretty amazing. Uh, the tree was, was monstrous. Um, and you know, we saw tons of elephants and, you know, and lions and things like that. So it was, it was really, really pretty amazing. Um, but the trips are one thing. The idea of, of going on a mission trip is one thing. It's actually really easy to go on a mission trip. So all you could do is buy the ticket. Um, but the, the concept of missions in itself, when it comes to global missions or local missions, the mindset that we have I think is the the more important part, and uh, both here and at home, uh, and overseas, I, I think we have to 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 not so much reevaluate, but spend some time asking ourselves the important questions as to what is it we're trying to accomplish through this task. Because uh, sometimes we get the idea of missions or doing missions work or witnessing, and we have this this canned idea of what this looks like in our mind, and it's not necessarily accurate, and sometimes it can actually be very destructive. Now, whenever I have the opportunity to go anywhere and teach or preach, whether it be uh, a church you know, down the road in another state, um, or, you know, or in a place like Tanzania or Ghana, yeah, you, you, you never, you never know kind of what's, what's going to happen and where you're going to, what you're going to walk into while you're, uh, while you're in the process. Um, so what I'd like to do is I like to, to spend a few moments before I get a chance to go anywhere. And I start thinking about Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. Now, this is a very, very common section of scripture, but I want to read it to you anyway. Um, now I'm reading from the New King James and it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, most people in the church have heard these verses many, many times. Um, they're very commonly understood as the Great Commission. Um, and they command all believers to take the gospel in, in uh, out into the world, and this is not this is not an option for for anyone. Anyone who calls himself a Christian is bound by the Great Commission. So Jesus is telling us it is our responsibility to bring the gospel into the world. But he uses very very specific language when he does it. He says, uh, uh, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." Not just go into all the nations and preach. Says make disciples, and that's 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 very specific wording. Now, the problem when it comes to the call to take the gospel mission to the nations, uh, and I I, uh, I hope you agree with me on this one, is that there are no clear instructions for us on how to do this. There's no how-to step-by-step. Here is how you take the gospel to the to the world. Um, th- there are thousands of different ideas on how this uh, should be done, the best way to witness to people. Um, you know, and you, you think about it. Just in my time in the church over the last almost thirty years, you know, for a while it was you got to hand out chick tracks. Some of you don't even know what those are, but they were these little booklets that would walk people through a gospel story. Some of them were really encouraging. Other ones were basically like, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to burn in hell for all eternity. It was, you know, really uplifting. Um, and then for a while it was Romans Road. It was a Billy Graham track, and and, and um, uh, or was it the uh, Four Spiritual Laws? Uh, you know, and then uh, for a while it was conversational or Socratic evangelism. Um, and then after a while, you, you find that people are, are getting this idea where they should be um, going out into the bars and into the questionable places of the world and sitting among sinners as Jesus did uh, to show them that you don't judge them. And there, there has been so many 
different ways to approach the idea of going into the world and taking the gospel with you. Um, I have read and I have listened to so many different uh, uh, people talk about this. Uh, the one thing that I have uh, figured out, the, the inescapable conclusion that I've come to, uh, is that no one has it right. There, there is no one way. And I, I've, I've heard people make the claims, you know, if you give me five minutes, I'll lead anyone to Jesus, which never ha- really happens. It may have happened once or twice with them, but the, it's just not that simple. The, the way we bring the gospel to the world is as diverse as people. There is no one simple way to do this. Uh, and I think the reason that Jesus never gave us a clear outline of the how to do it because if he did, I think many in the church would have canonized the method, that, that method and then told anyone who ever did anything different that they were heretics. You know, there's a lot of people who will look at things like the Lord's Prayer. And if you pray any other way than that, then, then you are sinful because, because that's how Jesus said we ought to pray. So if you don't use those exact words, if you don't do that exact thing, then you're not praying the way God wants you to pray. And therefore, you're not really a Christian. I mean, I've, I've heard this a hundred times. It's ridiculous. But I think that's why he didn't did not give us a clearly delineated process of this is how you're supposed to bring the gospel to the world, uh, because I think we would have made that into an idol. The truth is that the ministering of the gospel is as diverse as people are, and there's no single one and done method, uh, because everyone you meet will be different. I mean, think about this. They have different likes and dislikes. They have different backgrounds, different family structures and traditions, different cultural norms and different education. And the list goes on. And when you go to a country as radically different as an African nation from, from, from the United States, that those differences become compounded in 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 massive ways uh where you can't just think about things on an american with an american mentality you have to start looking at things much different you have to pay more attention to those differences because we are bringing a single message of salvation you think about this no matter what country you're in no matter what part of the world you're in you are bringing a single message of salvation there's not two messages of salvation there's one message of salvation and that is Christ and him crucified and you're bringing that message to a completely diverse world with the different types of cultures and family structures and ideas of rights and wrongs you're bringing one message to all of these different people, and we have to do it in a way where it makes sense to them. And that requires some things on uh, on our part. And it should help us, it should help remind us that there is no single method in which to do that. Um, But I think as we look through Scripture, as we look through the Gospels, as we look through the book of Acts especially, I think we can find enough examples of how this was done that we can, we can, we can, um, give ourselves a good roadmap as to how we should at the very least be approaching this in a broad level. That's what I want to talk about today. Um, you take a look at Matthew 28. The first thing that Jesus says is that all authority has been given to him. So if you think about this, the idea of going into the world and making disciples, you don't need my permission to do that. It is a, it is a, a call of God that we are to do this. Jesus says all authority has been given to him. So you don't need the permission of another person to, to, to do this. You are, we are to, we are as believers, we are to go and we are to do it. So, so that's all the permission that we need. But that does not mean that you are qualified. 
And that does not mean that you would do a good job. Just because you're a Christian does not make you a minister. Um, the world, the, the, the word of, the word of, excuse me, the word of God says that we are a kingdom of priests. But that does not mean that we are all, um, skilled at that process. Now you think about this. Do you have any idea what it is, the message that you're bringing? Do you have any idea what the gospel message is? Do you do you understand how to explain it? Have you been taught? You see, if you don't know, if you want to go and bring the message to the world, but you don't know what that message is, all you're going to do is cause problems. Or worse, you're going to bring to them a false message that does not come from God, does not come from his word. It comes from you. And that's very dangerous. Now you think about this. Jesus did not say go into the world and get people to say the sinner's prayer. There are a lot of people who believe that missions, missions work, gospel ministry is about going into the world and getting people to say that sinner's prayer. The the problem is you will not find that sinner's prayer anywhere in scripture. It does not exist. It is a man-made process. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. I said the sinner's prayer when I came to faith. I'm still here almost 30 years later. But that's not the goal. And over the years, many of you who are probably listening to this uh, would would either agree or have, an, have an, an example you can cite on your own where people have come to an event, come to the altar to give their life to Christ, gotten up from that altar, said the sinner's prayer, and within a couple of weeks were right back to their old life and were probably worse off than they were than they were to begin with. So that's a problem. So that prayer is not enough. That prayer is not the, the, the nail in the proverbial coffin. It's just step one. It's a mistake that a lot of us will make in, in the, the modern evangelical world. Jesus did not say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples of all nations. And that's the word that is the, the most important part there. A disciple is not simply a believer. Okay, there are a lot of people who believe. There are a lot of people who 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 believe in God, but they are not a disciple of God. They're they're on these out. They're on these fringes on the outside. They're never actually fully committed. So let me give you an idea what the difference is. A believer is someone who knows and understands. Okay, but a disciple is someone who who knows, understands, and has committed. So a disciple of Christ is one who willingly devotes themselves to learning, understanding, and living according to the teachings of Jesus as found in scripture. Okay, if you're if you're not doing those things, if you are not devoting yourselves to the learning of God God's word, to the understanding of God's word and to the application of God's word into your daily living life, then you are not a disciple. I know that might sound really harsh, but simply believing something exists is not the same thing as committing yourself to it. Give you a really silly example. Um, I may believe that working out will help me lose weight and get into shape. But if, uh, even if I believe all that, I believe all the nutrition stuff, I believe all the exercise stuff, uh, you know, I, I bought a membership to a gym and I go every now and then and I sit on the bench eating pizza watching other people work out. I have not committed myself to the path. I have not committed myself to bettering who I am or to any, any element of change. All I have done is informed myself of something that I have not committed myself to. You see the similarity? A disciple has committed themselves to the process. They're not simply aware of who Jesus is or someone who just sits down and read the Bible. Anyone can read the Bible. That does not make you a Christian. The devil reads the Bible. You have to live it. You have to follow it. You have to commit your life to it. 
That means when you're when you're walking this path and you sin and fall down, you don't you don't just stop because oh no, now God's going to be mad at me. No, you get up and you keep walking. You know that there's going to be mistakes along the path and you don't give up. You just keep going. So in order to make a disciple, in order to 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 lead other people in the process of discipleship, the very first thing you have to do is become a disciple. And that's a lot of steps. That's one step that I think a lot of people miss. They think that they're a Christian, so therefore they're good. They have all the tools that they need. Why do I need to understand the Bible? I have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you to read your Bible because that's the Word of God. I'm tempted to jump into that a little bit more, but I'm going to I'm going to restrain uh, myself a little bit because because I I can um, at least I. <laughs> In my mind, I think to myself that I can. Uh, but in order to make disciples, you have to first become a disciple, or you don't know what you're making. You know, I trained chefs for a lot of years in the in, in the restaurant industry, and if I told someone who would never make an Alfredo to go make me an Alfredo, they have no idea what they're what they're doing. They may have seen one once and like, oh, well, it's a white sauce. And you know how many different white sauces there are to make. You know, if you don't if you don't know, if no one has taught you what it means to be success in this category, then you have no idea what your goal is. You don't know what you're shooting at. You don't know what you're walking towards. And discipleship falls right into that category. If you don't know what it means to be a disciple, then you have no ability to make a disciple. So our first step is to become a disciple. And that means that we have to actually submit ourselves. We have to willingly submit ourselves to the process of being taught. We have to submit ourselves to someone that we know is more experienced, more trained, more knowledgeable, than we are on the subject. And that means we have to first admit that we are not, that we are not the ones who are more informed. We are not, we don't have all the answers. You have to admit that you need to be taught how to be successful at this Christian life. Now you think about this, those whom Jesus was speaking to in Matthew 28 were directly taught by him. So they were obviously qualified to make disciples. They were taught by Jesus himself. But today what we find are far, far, far too many self-appointed self-taught, theologically bankrupt, false teachers bringing a false message to the world. Now, they're usually easy to spot. If you know what you're looking for, they tend to be all grace, no repentance. They tell you things like God not only loves you the way you are, they say that he'll never ask you to change because God just God God just loves you just just the way you are. Don't worry about anything in in your life. Don't worry about getting rid of, you know, don't don't worry about confessing your sin or whatever. Hey man, God loves you. Now, the truth is that God does love you the way you are, so much so that he refuses to let you stay that way. And the way you are is lost in unrepentant sin. It's got nothing to do with whether or not God loves a sinner. Of course, God loves sinners. Jesus came to die for sinners. That's not the point. The point is the fact that we're sinners that we, that we are separated from God in our sin and their only way back is through, through the acceptance of Christ's work on the cross. It's through redemption and repentance, through salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And the first step in that, that salvation is, is repentance. It's understanding that we are incapable, in, completely incapable of attaining this on our own. Jesus has to do it for us. So we have to go to Him. This is something that takes commitment to those that we lead to Christ. You think about this. If we have committed ourselves to being discipled by those who have, who have been there ahead of us, 
And this is the way this works, folks. Those who were, who were there before us, who have learned and grown, uh, grown, uh, uh, beyond us are the ones who are, who should be teaching. The older teach the younger. That's, that's the way this works. And not just, not just older in life. It's older in Christ. It's the ones who are more mature and understanding in Christ. Your, the number of your age is irrelevant. You may come to, you may come to know the Lord in your 80s. That does not mean that you are an 80 year old Christian. You may be a one year old Christian in an 80 year old body. That does not mean you know under, and understand anything about God. You may have a lot of life, life experience, but you do not have a lot of Holy Spirit experience. You don't have a lot of experience handling the Word of God in terms of our life. So you are not the older, you are the younger. You may be, you may have to submit yourself to someone significantly younger than you in age. But they are significantly older than you in the understanding of the word of God. There's, there's humility that comes with that. And so when we have committed ourselves to that path, then we become ready to bring people along with us in the process. You know, um, there's, a, there's a whole lot more in, uh, uh, involved with, with leading someone to Christ than an altar call and a handshake letting people know I'll be praying for you. You think about this, uh, you know, a set of parents brings home a, a child for the first time. You know, you just, you just had a baby, you know, the, uh, you'd just been released in the hospital and you're coming home and, and naturally what you would do is you would take that infant and you would walk them around the house and you would let them know where the stove is, you would let them know where the refrigerator is, you'd show them how to work the microwave, you'd show them how to run the dishwasher and the, and the washing machine and the dryer, and then you'd let them know where their bed is and show them where the milk and stuff is and the formula and, you know, and then just let them know if they need anything, to let you know. And then you put the baby down in the crib and then that's the last time you speak to it unless it comes and asks you a question. No one would do that. It's, that's completely ridiculous because the infant does not have the ability to care for itself. It doesn't even know what it needs. It has no ability to understand what it needs in order to grow into a healthy adult. Most kids, if you give them the chance, they would love to live off of Little Debbie's. They would love to live off of Twinkies and Ho-Ho's and snack food and junk. And it, it would, it's wonderful because it's so tasty. It's so good. It makes me feel good. But it, there's no health advantage to it at all. And in fact, it's actually killing you if that's all you're eating because you're, de- you're depriving yourselves of vitamins and minerals and actually things that are healthy. But you don't know. If you don't know, then you just follow along the path that makes you feel the best. And boy, does not does that not sound like American Christianity today? People are so uninformed of what it means to be righteous in the sight of God that they just follow along with whatever process makes them feel the best about themselves. You see, our faith is not a whole lot different than raising that infant. The infant has no idea how to care for itself. They need to be raised by mature parents who desire for that child to live a good, healthy, productive life. When we think about our faith in the same way, that's exactly the same goal that we have in the process of discipleship. When you bring someone to the point where they have, they have, they have decided to publicly commit their lives to, to, to Christ, they have, they have, they, they want to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then that's step one and now we have an obligation to that person. We have an obligation to lead them in the foundations of their faith. We spend time with those that we lead to the faith, making sure they have the understanding they need in order to grow in a healthy way so that they live fruitful lives in service of the Lord. 
The first step in that process is to commit ourselves to learning from the more knowledgeable and experienced in our lives so that we may be that same example in the life of somebody else. So when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, boy, is that not a loaded, an absolutely loaded sentence right there? Go and make disciples. Now, the unsaid truth is that we first have to learn to be a disciple and to be humble enough to follow along in the same process. Now, like I mentioned, there's, there, there are a number of, of uh, examples that we can find throughout Scripture that I think give us the understanding that we need on how to actually um, uh, take the gospel into the world. I mean, first thing, we, we got to prepare ourselves, but now we're actually taking the gospel out into the world. And so what is what is the more successful ways to do that? Uh, there are some people who are just amazingly successful at it, and there are some People who are just not very good at it. It's just it's, it's just the reality, and I think it's because we tend to fall in a couple different categories. Um, now there are three examples found that I've been able to find in the Book of Acts um, that I think are amazingly eye opening uh, when it comes to to bringing the gospel message to the to, to the rest of the world. Now the first of these comes from Peter in Acts chapter two. Uh, the other comes from Paul in Acts chapter seventeen. Actually, the other two come from Paul in Acts chapter seventeen. And we'll get to each of these here in just a minute. Now, and I don't want you to think that I'm trying to give you a process because I'm not trying to give you a process. I just want you to start thinking in a slightly different way when you approach someone. Okay, and then I'm going to give you a recommendation of a book that I think you'll you'll actually appreciate um, that I think can help you a lot in this uh, in this process. So uh, in Acts chapter two. And in Acts chapter 17, I, I tend to refer to these as um, uh, to those who know and to those who do not know, or to the Jews or, and to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. So in Acts chapter 2, in, in verse 14, what we see is, uh, is this. It says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. So that's the beginning of a very long section where Peter is ministering to the crowd that's there. Now, there's already been the example of the tongues of fire, and the people have had, they were you know speaking in tongues, and all the people could hear them in their own languages, and they're all saying, Wow, what is this? This is a Amazing. Uh, and now at this point, the other guys are saying, no, they're just drunk. And Peter's standing up and saying, no, that's not what's going on. Now, most of the time we look at this section of scripture and we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or tongues or something along those lines, but there is so much more that's going on here. Peter's preaching to this crowd and over 3,000 people come to the Lord. This message hit home. Whatever he, whatever he did, uh, cause, cause scripture doesn't give us the entire breakdown of everything that he said, but we get the idea that he spoke for, for quite a while. Um, 3,000 people come to the Lord and are baptized on that, on that day. But the interesting thing is we're not given a method that he used. We're, we're just told what he actually brought to these people. Um, now, the interesting thing is we may not be able to see to derive a clear method out of it, but we can see something that I think is very profound, uh, and that is that he knew who he was talking to. See, the difference between Peter in chapter 2 and Paul in chapter 17, as we'll see here in a minute, is the understanding of who you're talking to. Peter is preaching to God-fearing Greeks and Jews, people who were um, very steeped in the teachings of the Old Testament. They knew the teachings within the scriptures about the Messiah. They knew the the, uh, the importance of the prophet Joel and uh, and the writings of David. They already knew what was 
uh, said between the lines, so to speak. So when Peter is teaching and he says, no, this is what was spoken in the prophet Joel. No, this is according to the writings of David. No, this is about the Messiah. He didn't have to fill in the gaps of their understanding. They already understood what all that stuff meant without Peter having to de- to to delineate who Joel was or who David was or what sin is or what repentance is. They understood all of that. They understood sin, repentance, and sacrifice. They understood propitiatory uh, atonement they, or substitutionary atonement. They understood all that. Peter did not have to educate them on the details of the faith. All he needed to do was connect the dots that they had not connected in their own mind. He, he needed to fill in the blank spaces of their understanding and open their eyes to Christ as the fulfillment of Scripture. That's what he needed to do. If this tells us anything, it should remind us of the power of knowing the people who you're talking to. If you don't know the audience that you're speaking to, you run the risk of actually going either going in a direction that they will never understand or insulting them by belief, by by making them think that you're speaking down to them. We need to be thinking about where are they in their journey of faith and how can you help them move further along? So is there uh you know th- this is where learning to ask questions can become become very important because you if you if you don't know exactly who you're speaking to, uh, exactly where where what level of faith and understanding these people are at, you can you can make a lot of mistakes. You can actually turn someone off to what it is you're trying to bring rather than Piquing their interest. Now, Peter obviously piqued their interest because he's, he's basically connecting all the dots of their faith that they, that they did not see for themselves. He's saying, look, what's happening today was, was prophesied by Joel. Everyone understood what that prophecy was. No, this is what was written about here. This is what was written about here. The Messiah is the, is the one that you guys had, had, you know, had, had, had crushed and crucified. And all of a sudden, in the minds of the people who are listening, they're connecting the dots of their faith. And they're beginning to understand that everything that has happened. Remember, this is, this is just a little bit after Jesus had passed. And, and he, he had, he had ascended back into heaven. So they were, they, everyone was very familiar with what was going on. They connected all the dots in their mind, and they realized that this had all been prophesied through Scripture. None of this was by chance. All of this was the sovereignty of God. So when we are trying to minister to people, and we are not entirely sure where they are in their faith or where they are in their understanding, we need to learn to ask questions. We need to learn to try to figure out where they are, and that way we can have the best use of our time and the best use of our, uh, of our, uh, of, of honestly, of their heart and mind listening to us at that particular point in time. Now, if that's not something that you're actually familiar with, here's something that I recommend. Um, this is a book called Tactics. It's uh, um, written by um, uh, Greg Kokel. It's, it's a very well written book, and it helps you understand the process of ministering to people in this way. Uh, he walks you through a number of different things. Um, I gave this out to my entire leadership team a little while ago. Uh, everyone who's read it has loved it, and I think it's helped quite a few people in the process of being able to share their faith in a more comprehensive and confident way. So I really recommend you trying this book. So the first example that we see through Scripture on how the, some of the best way to bring the gospel to the to the world is to know your audience, and then when you're speaking to those who already know, don't try to re-educate them. Just connect the dots. Fill in the gaps of their understanding. And by learning to ask questions, you can find those gaps in their understanding. 
and you can bring that to them in a more quick and a, in a concise way. So now the second example that we find in the book of Acts is in chapter 17. It's uh, through verses uh, 16 through 25. I am going to read this whole thing to you, and this is uh, what I, re- I refer to as to those who don't know or to the Greeks. So we'll, we'll take a look at this. I'm going to read this section to you here, uh, and it says, um, Now while Paul waited for them uh, in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. Um, when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and someone said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be proclaiming uh, be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Very important that you understand this. They did not understand the Hebrew God. So he's a proclaimer of foreign gods because he has preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They had not heard any of this. Uh, and they they took him and brought him into the Areopagus, some groups will say to Mars Hill, um, saying, um, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. Uh, for all the Athenians and uh, the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. They loved to gossip. They loved to share new things. They wanted to, they wanted to have the information. So in verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that you are, uh, uh, that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through the uh, uh, through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with, ha- uh, uh, made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives, uh, gives to all life, breath, and all things, uh, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their uh, pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, and then he goes on from there. So, this is showing us the last two examples. Now, the first is um, knowing what to do when you're talking to people who have no understanding of the Bible. The Greeks in this day had very little, if any, knowledge of the Hebrew God. They, they were not interested in it. Jews were, were even less desirable then than, than, than they are today. It's just, it's just a fact. Now, the, the, the scriptures – uh, or any, they didn't have any any understanding of the scriptures or any understanding of sin uh, or atonement or repentance, none of that stuff. And you got to remember, most of the Greeks had a uh, uh, had a had a plethora of gods. Uh, they had a god for everything. So this idea of one all powerful sovereign god was very very foreign to them. So they were kind of interested in, in wanting to know what Paul was talking about. So if you'd have told them that they needed, and you think about this, if you'd have told them that they needed to repent of their sin, they wouldn't have any idea what you were talking about. And many may have been insulted that you would be judging them by a set of standards that they actually have never agreed to. Now you think about think about that over the years I've talked to plenty of people that have said things like well just because you think that's sin doesn't mean I think it's sin. It's because they have not they have not attached themselves to the standards of God. So they have no reference point for what sin is compared to what they think is good in their life. They may be thinking, look, I've never killed anybody, I've never stolen anything. I don't beat my I don't beat my pets, uh, you know, and I'm nice to my kids. I give money to charity. I help old ladies across the street. I'm a good person. God should be fine with me. Right? Well, no. You see, the the task is to help them 
bridged the gap of their understanding. And Paul did this phenomenally. Paul knew, he knew immediately that he could not start in the same place that he would with a Jew, with someone who knew the backstory, who knew, uh, the way I like to say it is, they understood what was not said. So when Paul would be in a synagogue and he would talk about sin, everyone understood it from a biblical standpoint. But when you're standing in front of someone who has no experience and no understanding about the things of God and you talk about the penalty of sin, they have no reference point other than their own judgment of good and bad, right and wrong. And you would have no idea where that came from. So Paul knew he needed to start in a different place for them. They had no reference. They did not know the unsaid truth. So he had to go all the way back to the beginning, and he started with, in the beginning, God. He started all the way back in Genesis because he knew that was the only place that you could go for people who have no understanding of God or his word. It's pretty interesting to me because there's quite a few people in the church today that when you talk about going all the way back to Genesis, they cringe because that involves creation. That involves the God who brought all things into existence. That is the God who spoke everything into existence. And there are a lot of people in the church who don't want anything to do with that ideology because they just, they just, they just can't get past the idea that Christians would, would not believe that, that we evolved from monkeys. For anyone who's listening, whether you're on the radio or not, I'm a young earth creationist. I have been for the last 30 years, and I'm not a young earth creationist because of, uh, uh, because, just because the Bible says it. I'm a young earth creationist because I love science. And I believe that science proves and science validates everything in the Bible, and the Bible is completely validated through scientific discovery. So, but that's another discussion uh, for another time. But anyway, we're just going to keep moving on for today. But the idea is that someone with no reference point needs to be given the story from the beginning. And the beginning is God created a perfect world. We broke it. And then he made a promise to us that he would step into uh, in, into our world, into this world that he made, and one way, in some way, he was going to make it right so that we could return to him. We were separated to God, uh, separated from God in our sin, and God was going to make a way for us to return to him. And he did that through the life of Christ. He did that through through Jesus's work on the cross, and now we have the ability to come to him in repentance. We can be saved from our sin, we can be made right with God, and we can be restored to a relationship with God because of what Christ did. But if you just start with, you need Jesus, you think about that, and in the, in, the eyes, in the eyes of a Christian, this makes perfect sense, but this is one of the things that I have uh, been teaching my church for a lot of years. When someone comes to you and they're in trouble— I'm having difficulty in my life. I'm having hardship in my life. My marriage is falling apart. My kids are falling apart. My job is falling apart, whatever. One of the things that we have a tendency of saying, and this is going to, this is probably going to sound very wrong initially when you first see it, when you first hear it, is uh, when when we say something like, well, you know what? You just need to trust in Jesus. Now, is that a true statement? Absolutely. Yes, you need to trust in Jesus. The problem is, If you're a Christian, you understand what that means. You understand what it means to put your trust and your faith in Christ. That's not an unknown territory. That's not unknown territory for you. The problem is if you're not a Christian, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that is a useless statement because you have no idea how to apply that in real life. You don't know how to trust in something. How do you trust in something that you don't even believe in yet? 
And most people use that statement. You just need to trust in Jesus because they don't have another answer. They don't have the ability to talk to someone about why their marriage is falling apart. They don't know how to share with someone from a biblical standpoint why their life or why their career or why their kids or why their family is is in so much trouble because we don't know the Bible. And the reason we don't know the Bible is because we have not committed ourselves to the process of being a disciple. We've just decided that we want to be disciple makers. You see how this works? So when Jesus calls us to, to make disciples in the earth, he calls us first to become a disciple because if you become a disciple, as you go into the world with the gospel and you encounter these things, you can actually be useful in the hands and the mouth, as the hands and the mouth of God because you have answers because you've been taught. The problem is most of us believe we're disciple makers, but we've never actually been discipled ourselves. We've been going to church, but we have never actually been intentionally discipled. We've never actually put ourselves in the process where we, are, where we know we don't know enough and we are gaining in our understanding. That might have stung just a little bit. If it did, I don't apologize because this is a problem in the church today. We have too many people who attend a church and not enough people who realize that they should be the church. That means you need to have answers. So when Paul goes into Athens and he sees what's going on and he understands, he begins to understand how this city is structured. He begins to understand the mindset and the heart and the thinking of the Greek people. He realizes, I need to start in a different way. And he brings them all the way back to the beginning because he doesn't want to assume that they understand anything. So he comes to them humbly. He answers their questions, but he also gives them the gospel from the beginning to the end. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. You see, but that's different. If you, tr- if you do that with people who know, People who have been taught, who people who understand the, uh, the, uh, the backstory within scripture, it can be almost insulting to them. You see, but if you do it with people who have no idea, then it's not insulting because you come at it in a different, you, you're just coming at it in a different way. You're helping them understand. It's pretty interesting when you, when you start looking both sides, but the problem is you have to know who you're talking to. You have to know if you're talking to someone who understands, if you're talking to the Jew, or if you're talking to the Gentile. Are you talking to someone who knows or talk, talking to someone who doesn't know? Have we, dis, have we decided that first among ourselves? And in that process, we have to be learning to ask the questions. At, you know, hey, you know, so, uh, Tell me about your, tell me about your, you know, your family history. You spent a lot of time in church growing up. I mean, what was your, what was your religious background? What is, what is, you know, if I were to talk to you about, about sin, what do you, what do you think about that? You know, when, when Christians use the word sin and repentance and, and righteousness, what, what comes to your mind? These are ways that we can actually learn where these people are. Cause you might find out that, um, when someone starts talking about salvation, here's a, here's a, one of the classes that we teach is our first principles class. And one of the very first things we talk about is the gospel message. And uh, what we try to do is we try to help people understand that there are components to the gospel message. There are actually a series of things that, that, that follow along with the gospel message. Uh, the very first one is that God is a creator of heaven and earth, you know, and you kind of walk down these different things. And when you ask people, if you're going to talk to someone about the gospel, where do you start? And there's a lot of people who just say, well, I start with, with Jesus on the cross. Now that's kind of interesting because Jesus on the cross is the end of the conversation, not not the beginning. You think about this. The gospel culminates 
with Christ on the cross and his resurrection. But the good news is what Christ's work on the cross accomplishes. But the rest of that is you have to understand why that is even necessary. So there's this huge portion of the gospel message that pre-exists before Christ. There is a reason why Christ came. There is a reason why he was born in, in Bethlehem. There is a reason why he was born of a virgin. There was a reason why he was born the dates that he was born. And you go back to the Old Testament, and all that information is there. So the good news is that even though man broke the world with our sin, that God created a way, and over those next few thousand years, he gave us his law, he gave us his word, he gave us the prophets, and he gave us through prophecy, he told us when Jesus would show up, where he would show up, what his ministry would be like, how long it would last, and how he would die, and that he would, that he'd be rose, uh, he'd rise in the grave. I mean, all this stuff was, was given to us ahead of time. The good news, the gospel message is that all of this is happening as God had previously determined. So when you start looking at the gospel message, there's so many, so much more to it than just Christ and him crucified. Yes, that is the end, that is the goal that we're all trying to get to, but there's so many more pieces that we, that we have to understand that we forget. And when I, uh, when I tend to ask people, what is the most important part about the gospel message? There's one thing that, that most people forget. Excuse me, taking a little drink there. And what most people forget is repentance. They talk about salvation through Christ. They talk about being forgiven given of their sins and being entrance into heaven. But you know that all that stuff begins with repentance. And repentance can only happen when we admit that we're a sinner. You see, we admit we are a sinner before God. Not just that we're a sinner. So anyone could say, I'm a bad person and I need to do better. That's great. That's not admitting that you're a sinner. Admitting that you're a sinner means that you understand that God's standards are the only standards that matter. They are the only standards by which we will be judged. And you admit that you have fallen short of those standards. You are a sinner in the eyes of God. And we repent for those sins. And repentance is not just simply saying, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. You think about this. If I'm walking down the road, so I live in Copenhagen. We're on Route 12. And if I come out of the church parking lot and I take a left, I head towards Lowville. If I take a right, I head towards Watertown. Now, if I want to go towards Lowville and I walk out, walk out to the road and I take a right and I'm heading into town. If I'm walking down the road heading into town and I, I think to myself, I'm not really getting any closer to Lowville. And I recognize in my mind that I am going the wrong direction. I am, I am firmly heading in the very opposite direction of the, of where I need to be going. And I recognize that. I understand that. I believe that. If I don't stop and turn around and begin to walk the other direction, I have not changed anything. I can be, I can be walking the wrong direction, fully aware that I am in the wrong direction, but if I don't turn around and begin to walk the other way, it is irrelevant. Repentance is the same way. Just understanding that you have sin in your life, that you are not right with God, that you have violated the standards of the one whom created us is not enough. You have to turn and walk in the other direction, and the other direction is the standards of God. And the only way to find those standards is through his word, and it's in the scriptures, which goes back to the very first thing that we talked about. In order to make disciples, you have to first be a disciple. You can't actually fully repent and begin to walk in the righteousness of God if you don't start seeking what that righteousness is. You see how all this comes in full circle? 
We have to be teaching the young believers, the new people in Christ, what it means to walk in righteousness, what it means to be um, uh, committed to the processes of God, to learning the word and living the word and being a fruitful, healthy believer that is going to be usable in the hands of God for the, for the ministry of the gospel, as opposed to just someone who really, really wants to go to heaven. I mean, that's great, but isn't that really everybody? That's not good enough. Now, the last thing here is actually the really simple one. It's the third example that I talked about, and you can see this happening everywhere you look in the book of Acts. You're going to find this wherever Paul goes. Wherever Paul goes, um, he ends up going into the town. First place he goes is a synagogue. The second place he goes is to the marketplace. Now, in, in Acts 17, verse 17, it says this, Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, the converts, uh, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Now, you think about this. Paul was doing this all at the same time. He was... He was ministering to those who know so that he could try to fill in the gaps of their understanding and bring them to Christ. And in doing so, you immediately create a large community of Christians that you don't have to start at ground zero with. You immediately have leaders. You immediately have people who understand the scriptures. You think about it when Paul, when the reality of Christ was made clear to Paul, his understanding was made right. All the stuff that he understood uh, in the absence of Christ was now made perfect in the knowledge of Christ. And that would have been the same for other other Jewish leaders in the synagogues around the, around the world. Once their understanding was made complete, they had a much deeper understanding and a much, uh, much more comprehensive understanding of how the scriptures really apply in our lives. Um, so you immediately begin to form Christian communities. And that, that's why he would always go to the synagogues first. He would go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles because he believed that that's how the gospel message was supposed to be sent. It was sent to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. So he would always start in the synagogue and then he would go to the marketplace. And we see that and that's that's interesting because we tend to believe that the ministry of the gospel happens outside the church. And that's actually not the case, is it? Sometimes we take the truth of the gospel into the church and we begin to reason one another. Um, we begin to reason back and forth with another. We begin to uh, uh, not necessarily debate in a hostile manner, but we begin to con- to converse on a regular basis about spiritual things. For those of you who are listening, let me ask you something. Are you part of a weekly home meeting? Is Sunday your only religious experience through the week? You know, do you even pray when you eat? Do you pray each day? Do you actually touch your Bible? On Saturday night, are you trying to find your Bible because you haven't seen it since last Sunday? You see, we we we... We want our faith and we want heaven, but there's so much more to this than just existing and calling ourselves a Christian. It's a daily walk. When Jesus says, take up your cross, you know, daily take up your cross and follow me. This is the same process as becoming a disciple. We daily take up our cross and we follow him. Daily taking up our cross is that, that process of being taught and applying what we have learned to our lives. It's not just getting up in the morning and being depressed, like, I feel so bad, i got to be another Christian today. That's not what he's talking about. We take up our cross, we learn about the character and nature of God, we learn about the truth and the inerrancy of his word, 
And then we learned how to bring that out to the world. Paul was a master at this. And I think part of the reason he was a master of this is because on a regular basis, he was talking to those within the church, and he was also talking to those who had no idea, those who knew and those who didn't. He was talking to the Jews. He was talking to the Gentiles. He understood both an Acts chapter 2 style of of ministry and an Acts chapter 17 style of ministry, and he would practice those on a regular basis. And one of the neat things uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23, Paul says this. He says, for though I am a f- uh, free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I, uh, as, as under the law, that I might those uh, win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as though as without the law, not being without the law towards God, but under the law uh, law towards Christ, saying I didn't become a sinner, but I but I I. Spend time with them because why not? It says it's so, so that I might win those who are without law. It says to the weak I became as uh, as weak that I might win the weak. Uh, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. And I end with that because when we start thinking about the Great Commission. I was talking to my church about this last Sunday uh, in my trip to Tanzania, and I mentioned that missions work is less about going than it is about what you leave. It's easy to go on a missions trip because anyone who can afford the ticket can go, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to go. Anyone can go. The important part of doing missions work is not the going. It's it's what you leave after you return home. You think about this. You do not have to stay. When you go out on the missions field, you do not have to stay there. You don't have to live in that environment for any longer than you have predecided how long you're going to be there. I knew exactly when I was going to land in Tanzania and I knew exactly when I left. And when I was there, the uh, gentleman we were with, Eli Rahama, he asked me, he says, are you doing okay in our environment? And I said, I said, Ellie, it's hot, but I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. I brought things with me to keep me hydrated. I brought some stuff like liquid IV and other things that would, would actually help boost my immune system and things, things to keep me healthy. Uh, and I said, uh, and I said, at the same time, I'm only here for two weeks. I can do anything for two weeks. And he laughed because he understood exactly what I was, what I was saying. Uh, but that's the truth. I can prepare myself f- to be in that situation for a period of time, but I don't have to live there. I get to go home. So the question is not whether or not I'm going and uh, you're going to be there. The question is, what am I going to leave when I get to go home? Because I get to go home, they got to stay. I get to come home to the U.S. in our ridiculous amount of luxuries. I get to, you know, spend a couple of weeks, you know, kept a few of the days we didn't have power. The air conditioner didn't work most of the time. Um, but you know what? That doesn't mean that I have any idea what their life is like. <laughs> unless I dig into that life. You see, while I was there, I made a point to ask questions. I made a point to ask about their life, about their about their culture, about the things that they love, about the things that they didn't like. How do you like this? Do you like to swim? Do you like to fish? You know, do you, I'm, I'm asking them about themselves, and I'm not necessarily doing it just because I'm curious. I am curious because I love to talk to people about their cultures, um, and I love to know about different different areas of the world, but I'm asking it mostly because I want to know how to uh, how to witness to these people. I want to know the most successful way to bring truth to them. And one of the things I found out in a country like Tanzania, Tanzania is a socialist country. And this, that you may just think that, oh, that's terrible. You know, they, they you know, too bad they couldn't get into capitalism. But here's a, here's a little, a little mental insight when it comes to a, to a socialist country. A socialist country, people are brought up being provided for. 
by the government. The government tells them what to think, tells – and you know, in school, you're, there's a certain amount of approved information. So this is what you should think about this. There's not a lot of dialogue or discussion. There's not a lot of debate on an issue. So that concept is very foreign in that even in the church. So in the church, one of the things that you find in these kinds of environments is you find church leaders who are very manipulative. And in, in Western ways, and in, in, when we look at it, it's obvious that these guys are charlatans. Why would anybody do this until you start to realize that this is the way people are trained to think in that country? So if you're not careful, you can come across very manipulative and you can, you can force people, you can pigeonhole them down a path that they shouldn't, they shouldn't going. And so one of the things I made I made sure that I was doing when I was there is I was trying to to help them understand that they needed to learn how to have healthy debate on a topic. That they needed to challenge necessarily the status quo. They needed to maybe begin to think just a little bit different about just being force-fed information. They needed to go look for it, look at look for it for themselves. It was a very different different concept to a, to a lot of these pastors. And these are guys who've had churches for a while, but that's not what they were brought up seeing. And, that's, and 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 don't take that too far. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, but this was a, this was something that I had to learn as as we were there because there was a lot of things that didn't make sense to me until I realized this is a normal to them. This is this is just how this works for them. It's not that they're broken. It's just this is just how they've been trained to think. So I had to adapt the way I presented the gospel in that way. So that I left them with the, with the best version of this. I didn't want to bring them American Christianity. I wanted to bring them Christ and Him crucified and a deeper understanding of His Word in a way where they would understand it in their culture. With their background, with their understanding. You see what I mean? I needed to bring it to them to the best way that they would receive it, not necessarily the way that I best understood it in a Western, uh, a Western cultural application. The goal is to bring them Christ and him crucified, to bring them the hope of salvation through repentance and the forgiveness of sin. In order to do this, we have to understand them in the context of their life, their culture, their views. Paul says, I become all things to all men. This is why he does this. The word of God will bring about all the changes that are necessary. It doesn't need our help. So sometimes we look at people and we want to fix their life so that we can then give them the gospel, and that's completely backwards. We give them the gospel knowing that that will fix their life. Once you once you give someone the gospel and they've committed themselves to the path of Christ, if we disciple them the way that we should in the understanding of his word, his word will correct their life all by itself. We just have to stay out of the way. Uh, one of the things that... Uh, uh, those of you who may know this this gentleman's name, John Barone, he was a minister in this area for a long time, little old Italian guy, uh, had a stroke. One side of his body didn't work, and the other side was as strong as four four regular men. Uh, he was an amazing, amazing guy, and he used to, he used to say, uh, you know, you catch him, he cleans him, reminding us that it is not our job to, to, to clean their life up. We're just not that talented. Our job is to give them the gospel, and then we trust that the gospel will do the rest. So when we think about missions, both locally and overseas, we need to be thinking about this. Who are we reaching? Who are we trying to get a hold of? Do they have any understanding of the word of God or do they have no understanding of the word of God? And how do I find that out? What do I need to do to understand the best way to reach these people in their setting? And then we just trust the Holy Spirit will lead us 
as we fill in the gaps of their understanding to bring them closer to him. It's important um, that we place them in his hands, that we trust him with their lives, uh, and that we understand fully that he's he's in control, not us. Well, I hope that uh, I hope that helped. I hope that wasn't too long winded, and I hope that made sense. Uh, recording some of these every now and then. A lot of times I do these live, and um, uh, there's people on on uh, online that'll be commenting. Um, but uh, uh, doing the <laughs> right now, it's just the middle of a winter winter storm, and I'm sitting in my office, literally talking to a screen. So every now and then, that can be a little difficult, um, but uh, it's a lot of fun at the same time. So I hope you enjoyed this. Lord bless you. Um, again, if you're uh, interested in podcasts, check it, check out the website, uh, john547.com, uh, or in the beginning podcast on whatever platform you use. And, uh, Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.